Welcome to Lighting Your Way, a podcast featuring exciting, hilarious, heartbreaking, terrifying, and joyful stories of real nurse advocates helping real patients get the best health care. Hi, I'm Nurse Betty Long. Each week, I and one of my nurse colleagues at Guardian Nurses will take you behind the curtain to help you better navigate the healthcare system when you or a loved one is sick or injured. Today, we talk with Andy Votendahl, nurse advocate and one of our mobile care coordinator nurses in Seattle. Andy's responsibilities include helping patients in a large health and welfare fund who are dealing with acute healthcare issues like a hospitalization or a new diagnosis where testing is still going on, or possibly the patient needs to see a specialist. Her support, as well as other guardian nurses' support, is offered as part of the patient's health benefits. So long as the patient is eligible for health insurance, there is no cost to the patient. Andy's story highlights one of her patients discharged from a Seattle hospital after being treated for COVID-19. Andy Votendahl, nurse advocate extraordinaire, welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. It is great to be talking with you today. Good morning to you, Nurse Long. <laughs> Seattle says hello, and we already miss you. I uh, uh, hope your trip back Friday was good. Yes, yes, all good. Uh, thanks for asking, though it's uh, great to be back in Philly, where the weather is appropriately spring-like. I do miss seeing your mountains and water. Uh, and Robin, Rebecca, and I did thoroughly enjoy our week visiting with you, Stephen, Ellen, and Tessie. Uh, always good to work with you folks uh, in person on your home turf. Well, you took the gorgeous weather back with you, uh, and but we are back to our chance of rain for the entire next week. So feel free to bring that sunshine back anytime. <laughs> All right, I will do. We did have a good week. Uh, so Andy, I invited you on because just this past week, uh, you were part of making history at Guardian Nurses. I don't know if you're aware of that. Well, I'm guessing it might have to do with that letter yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The letter. Uh, when we were on site this past week, you received a thank you letter from a primary care physician whom you had partnered with in the care of your mutual patient. Uh, and in almost 18 years, though we certainly have had physicians thank our nurses in person for their good work, we have never received a formal letter of thanks from a doctor. So congratulations for making history. Thanks a lot. It, it was very cool to have her document her appreciation so officially. Um, I'm very grateful to her, actually, and not just for writing the letter, but for her partnership to help this patient. And we made a great team. We really did. Yeah, it certainly read that way. Uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing the whole story. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about your nursing career. What, what has your journey been like? Oh, well, I've, I've done a lot in my nursing career. Uh, for me, that's actually the greatest thing about nursing. There's so much that you can do. Um, I actually wanted to be a cruise ship nurse uh, and travel <laughs> the world, but that didn't happen. So um, I started out in the hospital where I was working as a nursing assistant through college. So I got a great foundation there. I knew the system. I was comfortable. And from there, I became the charge nurse, um, as well as a clinical uh, nursing instructor for two of our community colleges on site there. Mm -hmm. 
and I started lecturing after that. Um, and so I was also a nursing supervisor later in life, and that gave me um, access to other areas of nursing because I saw the entire hospital. Mm-hmm. And I always said I'd never be a cardiac nurse, but I discovered cardiac nursing there <laughs> so, um, and got to love that. And I found my way to the level one trauma center in Seattle. I was actually recruited away by a nurse recruiter at that level one trauma center um, and it changed my life Um, because I got involved with the union there and I was recruited to become an organizer Um, and I actually thought about giving up nursing at that time and pursuing a political career but um, I miss patients so much so much I just love taking care of people (laughs) and then I found guardian nurses and it was like the best of both worlds. I got to be a nurse for union members. (laughs) Voila. Careful what you wish for, right? Um, So I really, I do agree, right? The ability to explore diverse roles in nursing is really one of the best features of a career in nursing. Um, So you mentioned your work as a union organizer for healthcare workers just prior to joining the Guardian Nurses team. How do you think um, having done that role enhances what you do now as a nurse advocate? Well, we have a fundamental that we practice a lot at Guardian Nurses. We call it wrapping our arms around our members. The perspective of both a nurse and a union organizer really helps me do that. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to be a worker in a union. When someone is out sick or calling in sick, I get to use my union organizer skills to know when to say to them, it's time to call your rep. I have the unique experience of defending a person's livelihood. It's, it's their job. But I also know how to care for them as a nurse and how that has a direct effect on their livelihood. I'm always thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I, I know it's like <laughs> basic nursing. What Maslow says is that you can't get to the real meat of your life if you're struggling to put food on the table. And so I hope that I can take care of those, both of those, like I can take care of the basic needs of our members so that they can focus on their family, personal fulfillment, you know, the higher level things in life. That's a great, uh, that's a great thing to remember. Uh, And I think all of your roles uh, in nursing and out of nursing have prepared you well, although I don't know about the cruise ship nurse. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You are one of our best. Um, and Florence would be proud. So for our new listeners, this podcast is called Lighting Your Way because in the spirit of Florence Nightingale, we want to light the way for you to empower you to become more educated consumers, better advocates for yourself and for your loved ones when they're needing health care. And we do that by telling stories. And today we want to share Andy's story so let's get started in on the reason we're here. Uh, Andy, tee up for our listeners, if you would, please. What is your story going to be about? Well, this story um, is a story of a patient who I met when she was hospitalized for COVID-19. Fortunately, she was not there for long um, and was never in the ICU, but she did receive the monoclonal antibodies and the steroids as part of her treatment. Most of my work with her, though, was not while she was in the hospital, (laughs) but after she was discharged home. How how long was she hospitalized for? 
She was hospitalized for about eight days, which is short for a COVID patient. Mm -hmm. Um, We get a report, which makes me aware of her hospitalization on a Tuesday, and I immediately reach out to her by phone. Um, Do you call the patient's cell or or do you call the hospital number? Well, um, whenever I'm trying to reach a patient who's hospitalized, I always call the hospital's main number first. Mm -hmm. I confirm that the hospital or that the patient hasn't been discharged. And then I ask to be transferred to the nurse's station. Hmm. Uh, Why not call the patient directly first? Uh, Assuming, of course, that you have their cell number. Well, it's just not part of my routine. I want to introduce myself to the hospital nurse who is assigned to my patient, sort of out of a professional courtesy thing between the bedside nurse and me. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so were you able to connect with both the nurse and the patient in this case? Yeah, I introduced myself to the nurse. I told her who I was calling about and that I would work on getting a HIPAA, a consent sign so that we could chat about our mutual patient. And then when I got a hold of my patient, it was difficult to understand her initially as she spoke broken English since English was not her primary language. So was it uh, difficult to explain to her why you were calling? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I have this way of making our members feel like the call is normal. Um, I say, we call when people are in the hospital to see how we can help, (laughs) you know? And and also when I speak to folks, it's obvious that I know what I'm talking about, (laughs) you know? And I have been there in that bed and at the bedside. So I can offer kind of a unique experience or perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, Folks just start opening up. And my coworkers tell me I have this way with people. I just talk like the call is normal, you know? <laughs> it's like, hey, here yeah. I am. Hey, here's Andy. <laughs> um, what was the outcome of that initial call? Well, to my surprise, she was very receptive to my support. <laughs> um, I think it's probably because I called her and she wanted to talk to somebody. You know, these people are very isolated during this pandemic. And she didn't really have any specific concerns or questions and said that she, the nurses were fantastic. And she said she was hoping to go home in the next day or two. And when I asked her if she had someone at home, she says, oh, yes, I have my daughter. So she didn't have any concerns. But as nurses well, well know, uh, that's often not a good indication of a good discharge plan. Did you have any concerns at that point? Well, I did. Even in that first phone call, she sounded very hoarse and short of breath. I was concerned that for her, English as a second language meant that maybe the discharge instructions might be problematic. Mm-hmm. I, I had been able to visit, if, you know, had I been able to see her in the hospital, Betty, I, it may have been much easier. Right. But because of COVID visitation restrictions, I couldn't go and see her. I couldn't talk to the people right there caring for her. Right. And, and discharge instructions are problematic enough for folks who English is their first language. So uh, what was your plan in this case? Well, given that she was recovering from COVID-19 and she was 71, I was immediately concerned about the oxygen support at home. Um, And with that oxygen support, she should have a pulse oximeter. It's this little doodad that you put on your finger and it helps read, you know, how well your lungs are getting oxygen. Mm -hmm. 
Plus, in addition to wanting her to have oxygen, I was concerned about her and her daughter's ability to manage all of her post-discharge care. So when I told her that I'd be continuing to follow up with her, she was very happy. She's like, yeah, I bet. I bet she was. Um, Did you try to reach the hospital case manager or discharge planner before your patient was discharged? You know, I didn't, but part of why I didn't is that I thought she was going to be in the hospital longer. Mm. Most of my COVID patients were spending weeks in the hospital, and this patient did not. And mm. uh, Trust me, I will never make that assumption again. And I think it has to do with the monoclonal antibodies. She was at a university hospital. Okay. So she gets home, she's on oxygen, uh, and what's next? Well, the day after she got home, I called her. And it was then that she told me that her daughter actually lived in Arizona and was not coming to stay with her. Uh, Apparently, my patient told her daughter not to come and that it wasn't (laughs) necessary. So that meant she was alone in her home. Uh, She also told me that she was using the oxygen, but that she was trapped in her living room as she only had so much tubing between her and the oxygen tank. Uh-oh, you must have, hearing that, you must have been fit to be tied. Oh, it just, it just keeps going. <laughs> and as we talked, I got a better picture of what was going on, and I knew it, I needed to make things happen. So, so tell me what you heard, right, in that conversation that concerned you, besides oh. that she was alone. Well, uh, besides being tied to the O2 tank, <laughs> which she couldn't lift, so was, in her words, trapped okay she told me she felt like her heart was racing and even though she had oxygen she did not have an o2 sat monitor the pulse oximeter i mentioned earlier so we had no way of knowing what her oxygen saturation was on the oxygen and she also didn't know how many liters of oxygen she was on or actually how to change the oxygen (laughs) Um, I do not know why she was not sent home with a referral to a home care agency. Yeah. And now I know why as a nurse, you had a heightened concern. I, you don't just, patients don't go home on oxygen, um, but without any resources. So there's more. She told me that her neighbors were bringing her food and on hearing what they were bringing her there was little protein in the dishes that they brought, a lot of rice with vegetables. Okay. And, and why would protein be important in this case? Our, our, you need protein to build and repair your muscles, skin, and tissues. It also helps fight infection, carry oxygen through your body, balance body fluids. When you have a wound that's healing, you got to think of food as medicine. Jeez. And all that happened in your first post-discharge phone call? Yeah. What what did you do when you hung up? So I hung up and I called her primary care uh, doctor's office. I explained why I was calling. I I asked to speak with the nurse practitioner or even the office nurse, a case manager, anybody. (laughs) So I I, I didn't hear back from anyone that afternoon, but the next morning, I couldn't believe it, much to my surprise, <laughs> I heard from her doctor. Great. She was just fantastic. She listened to all my concerns and agreed to make the referral for home health services. I mean, this is, we're talking day three following her discharge. So we're a little bit behind the eight ball here, uh, but okay. she really hopped to it. 
Well, I, I can't believe no one, well, maybe I can. I can't believe no one in the hospital thought of involving home care. Me neither. <laughs> and as if we needed another complication, the first agency didn't accept the patient's PPO insurance, so we had to find a second agency. Oh. And then it took another two days before they could make a visit. And it was a mess. But I'm calling her. But finally, the home care nurse arrived, did her assessment, and thought that the patient was running a fever. I talked with both the nurse and my patient during that visit, and she told me she felt fine. But the nurse did crank up her oxygen because her sat was low. Um, and thankfully, a home health nurse brought her pulse ox. With her. Okay. Did, did, yeah. uh, did your patient have a fever? No, she didn't have a fever. You know, I can't, managing this case on the telephone must have been challenging. Oh, it sure was. Yeah. And <laughs> I would, it would have been much easier if I gone out to her home right after discharge. But her COVID status really made me pause. Mm -hmm. um, coaching a patient on the phone, particularly when their English is not their primary language, did pose a challenge. Mm -hmm. But that didn't stop me. It just makes me think she needs me more. Mm -hmm. I would remind her about eating and drinking and when to call 911 if she needed help. And I asked her things like, are you sleeping on your stomach? <laughs> <laughs> sleeping on her stomach? Why, why was that important? So there's been a lot of research on how to improve outcomes for patients with COVID-19. And one of the things they found is if, if they put patients on, in the prone position, mm -hmm. so lying on their stomachs, they had improved oxygen levels because of the fluid shifts within the lungs. Mm -hmm. And so they recommend it to patients at home with COVID too. And so I always ask my, especially respiratory COVID, are you sleeping on your stomach? Great. And they all say yes. I mean, that's, they're, yeah. That's great to know, Andy. Good job. Um, how, about, how about your patient's medications? Was she taking them? <laughs> well, that's a $64,000 question. Let me back up a little. So a few days passed and she was doing okay, getting her PT and OT in the home, which was great. So I thought we might be heading in a good direction. Yeah. And for all I knew, she was taking her medications. Well, on Saturday, uh -oh. her primary care doctor called me and left me a voicemail on myself. And when I listened to the message on Monday morning, she asked if I delivered medication <laughs> because as luck would have it over the weekend, oh. Seattle got buried by about nine inches of snow. Oh. But this was Monday and it had already started to rain, thankfully. <laughs> and that's what happens here. Imagine <laughs> that. And the snow starts melting. And uh, so I called the doctor's office to figure out what was needed. <laughs> and, and what happened? Well, the doctor had talked to uh, the patient on the phone okay. and determined that she needed antibiotics for a UTI, a urinary tract infection. Thank you. And she needed inhalers, those portable sprays that open up the airway mm -hmm. so that she was getting better oxygenation. Okay. Um, but the patient wasn't able to pick them up, so she hadn't started taking them. Oh, and let me guess, you got in your creamsicle and drove to the pharmacy. I love my little car. <laughs> yeah, I was very invested in this woman's recovery, and I didn't want to see her readmitted because of not being able to get her medications. Yeah. 
So yes, I drove to her local supermarket, which was also the pharmacy and picked up her meds. And while I was there, I picked her up some bread, eggs, <laughs> butter, you know, things that had protein. <laughs> ah, just to be sure she got that protein, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I wanted her to eat nutrition you know, and eggs. I love, you know, it's always yeah. good. No, it's a good, good job, Nurse Rotenthal. Uh, I'm sure she very much appreciated your going above and beyond. Yeah, she did. And the best part was that I got to finally see her in, oh. at her home. Okay. I figured, what the heck, I'm here. I may as well stop in for a visit. And she was happy to see me too. I was masked. She was masked. She laid in bed while I sat <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> We stayed appropriately distanced, and it gave me an opportunity to assess her home, too, to make sure she was safe. I didn't stay long, but by the time I was there, it was, you know, it was a good use of my time. I met her neighbors. They were shoveling her snow. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, so um, why do you think, all told, what was, what was a good use of time? I was able to assess her breathing. I was able to show her how to use that albuterol inhaler that I had just picked up mm -hmm. and I explained that she should take the antibiotics with food and she immediately took her first antibiotic. Oh, <laughs> Overall, it made okay. me feel better <laughs> that I had seen her and she saw me. Yeah, I'm sure. No, seeing, seeing for your own eyes, especially only uh, having spoken with her on the phone must have made you feel more confident of her recovery. Oh, yeah. And when I left, I called her doctor and reported in. <laughs> the next time I checked in with her, it was about two days, two days later, and she didn't answer. So I was hoping she was doing okay. She was actually at the doctor's office. Oh. And after the visit, the doctor called and asked me if I could help with filling out her paperwork to keep her out of work for a little bit more, her FMLA. Mm -hmm. she, she just didn't feel good about her going back so soon, even though... The patient was very eager to go. Um, it, it was unrealistic. And that happens a lot with COVID. I've had a couple of COVID patients go back to work and then have to go back home. So I encourage a little extra time. Okay. What type of work does she do or did she do? She works day shift in a retail store. So a lot of standing and walking. Uh, her breathing was not quite back to where she could make it through an entire shift. Yeah. Um, fatigue as well. I don't think she could stand Right. Yeah, we've, we've heard a lot of reports of patients who were hospitalized with COVID-19 who, uh, among other things, have lingering respiratory effects. So I'm not surprised that your patient, as well as other patients you've worked with, needed some extra time. Yeah, but there, here's the good news. <laughs> when I okay. went to her good. home. I'm glad there's good news. Yeah, there's always. So I'm going back to her house because I want to complete the paperwork with her. She's outside walking around in her garden and she just looks great. <laughs> oh. She'd cut her hair too. Um, so she, she looked all done up. Uh, I found an <laughs> app on my smartphone because I kept thinking about this O2 sat business. Uh -huh. And so I found an app on my phone wow. that I could check her oxygen saturation. Wow. And it was 95% on room air, which was someone getting over COVID. For someone getting over COVID, that was really great. Yeah. Um, she said she was getting around okay. She was just a little more tired than normal. 
She, of course, very eager to get back to work, 71-year-old, just wanting to go to work. <laughs> but oh. the doctor wanted, we, we kept her out for two more weeks to give her more time. <laughs> it's always a good sign, isn't it? When, when you know someone's feeling better because they're antsy to get back to their mm -hmm. normal lives. Yeah. I could tell she was definitely feeling stronger. And during one of the, the exchanges, she asked, can you tell those home care nurses to stop coming? <laughs> And I just said, a few more times, let them come a few more times, just to make sure you're okay. <laughs> and after all you had done, I'm sure she wasn't going to argue with you. No, she knew I had her best interest at heart. So she was very diligent about taking little walks every day to build her stamina. And she took her meds. She did all the right things to keep her recovery on track. All told, uh, Andy, how long did you support this woman? It was actually three months uh, engagement from the first call uh, to the hospital from first time I talked to her in the hospital to my last call um, I made to her wow and, and is she back to work uh, yeah she, during our last call she told me she was feeling great um, was working four days a week which is more than she worked before <laughs> and that she had asked her doctor about getting the COVID vaccine um, right. which she's planning to do great all that and she's working extra. Um, what, a, what, what a positive outcome, right? That's fantastic. Yeah. I, one, one of the things in the story that really stands out for me and, and maybe for our listeners is how you and her primary care physician work so well together to keep her out of the hospital and to get her the non-clinical support, right? The, the time off, the extra time off that she needed not, to not stress about being out of work. Um, <laughs> You, you and the doctor were very much invested and committed to your patient, clearly. This, doc, this doctor is amazing. Um, she's cared for the immigrant, immigrant population for many years in Seattle, and both she and her staff are just dedicated to all their patients. Mm. You know, they, they called me, refer, oh, Andy. It was so <laughs> cool to collaborate with her and to know that she really valued my role as a nurse advocate. Yeah, I, you know, many of the questions that we get when we're explaining our role is how do physicians respond to your nurses? And I always say that most physicians understand that the healthcare system is overwhelming for their patients. Um, and when they, when they know that our nurses are there in person to help that patient have a better experience or uh, have a better outcome, they are more than willing to collaborate with us. I mean, it, it's a win-win for them and for the patient, right? So you clearly showed that in this story, Andy. Great job, really. Well, thanks, Betty. <laughs> okay, so given all that you shared throughout your story and what a story it was, <laughs> uh, what one piece of advice would you offer our listeners who may be supporting someone they love following a discharge from a hospital? Oh, there's so much I want to say here. Uh, I, bet, I bet, given the story. So not all hospital discharges require this much support, but there was a lot of complicating factors. Her COVID status, the fact that she lived alone, and the communication challenges, and we're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I think the one piece of advice I would offer is that discharge planning should start when a patient is admitted to the hospital, especially a COVID patient who's 71 years old. And th <laughs> if this had been my mom and she was being discharged and insisted that I not come to help her, I would have been on the phone to the hospital to speak with the discharge planner. 
And that can be a nurse or a social worker whose job it is to create a safe discharge to be sure that everything the patient needs will be set up at home. I would have made sure that the proper attention to her needs was being given. Um, my patient had a good outcome, but only because she had me and her primary care doctor working on her behalf. Mm. And not every patient is that fortunate. That is for sure. Um, that's very good advice, Andy. And so true, particularly the pandemic, anytime. I mean, anytime a loved one is admitted to the hospital, make sure that you connect with the discharge planner and confirm what the discharge plan is. Uh, if it doesn't seem safe to you, it probably isn't. And if you don't understand it, even a tiny part of it, keep asking questions until you do. Really, that's yes. the, the moral of the story. Um, okay, so this is our fun question for all of our guests. Uh, it's been 13, almost 14 months since our world was shut down thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you would, please complete this sentence. When the world opens up, Again, fully and completely, I will. So my spouse is a musician and I love being a groupie and traveling around the <laughs> state with this band. I love dancing in a crowd of people. So I can't wait for live music. <laughs> I'm dying. Great, <laughs> that is a great answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. I, I can appreciate wanting to dance and, and just be yes. with a group of people because it's always yes. so uplifting, right? <laughs> yeah. Always having is. a good time. Uh, Andy, it was delightful to talk with you. Great story and great work. Thank you uh, for all that you do. Thanks for having me, Betty. Be well out there. All right. Right back at you, kiddo. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.